Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we have a Savior who is promised to always be with us. He came and gave his life so that we might have life, so that we might be redeemed, we might be justified, but he did not leave us. He continues with us in the power of the Spirit of God, and it's only because of his intercession as high priest, because of his intervention in our lives, that we are able to live the lives that he has called us to. Father, we ask that you would challenge us this morning. We thank you for the word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce through the dividing of the soul and the spirit. And we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, let it be your voice that we hear, and we know that we will be blessed. We give thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Please be seated. Back on December 19th of last year, 2021, uh, my family experienced a very momentous transition. A transition that we had never been through before, and as a matter of fact, a transition we really didn't think that we would experience for a long time. Uh, we added a very special new member to our family. Now, we've had family additions before. We've actually had three of them. Uh, but this one was completely different. And you'll see what I mean. This one was a puppy. Uh, here's a picture of our recent addition. Um, so, some of you have already met him. Now, soon after we got little Finn, uh, we realized that we were totally clueless when it came to things puppy, right? Uh, you know, you're talking about feeding, potty training, vet visits, all kinds of stuff, and so on and so on. Now, you can certainly go online. There's a lot of information available online about all of these things. But when you're going through something like this for the very first time, and it was a first time, we've never had pets before, uh, there's really no substitute for knowing other dog owners. You know, it's so comforting to know that you can turn to somebody who has been through this process before, who has cared for a puppy, who's been successful at training them, and then you can ask them for advice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, sorry, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes this to the believers in Corinth. He says this, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now, it's such a blessing, isn't it? When in our Christian walk, when we have uh, spiritual role models that we can imitate, uh, to see how others have responded both to success and also dealt with challenges and hardships and to be able to follow their example. Now, it's especially true if you can emulate those people without reservation because it's not just a question of the things they do, their actions, but even the motivation behind them is really genuine. What we're going to see this morning, we're going to take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles um, open. And we're going to see that the Thessalonian church is really such an example. John spoke on the first three verses of this chapter last week, and if you recall, uh, it starts off with the apostle greeting the, the believers in this uh, church in Thessalonica and telling them that, that the apostles were faithfully praying for them. They were remembering 
their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. Uh, He emphasized that these three qualities, faith, hope, and love, are the essential or indispensable qualities of what it means to be a true or genuine believer. Now, as we look at verses 4 to 10 this morning of this chapter, we're going to see that these qualities are what made the Thessalonian church such a great role model for other assemblies, for people in assemblies in that entire region of Macedonia. Now, before we dig in, we're going to give a little bit of context, a little bit of background to set the stage. Now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy visited Philippi, the city of Philippi, on their second missionary journey. Uh, They were horribly mistreated in that city. Uh, They were beaten. They were put in jail. Even though they had done really nothing wrong, they had done nothing to deserve that, and eventually they were forced to leave the city. Uh, But really, God had the last word because out of that experience was birthed a a tremendous assembly and a marvelous testimony for God in that region of Macedonia. However, they left. After Philippi, they went on to the city of Thessalonica. Um, Despite being really abused and maltreated in that city, Paul and Silas, they showed great courage and in boldness in preaching the gospel there. They saw some Jews turn to the Lord and and a large number of Greeks also uh, turn to the Lord But if you recall, the Jews who didn't believe raised up this mob. There was a riot. And for for the sake of their safety and well-being, that is the safety and well-being of the apostles, the believers in that that assembly decided to encourage them to move on, uh, and they went to Berea. But if you think about the fact that they only were there for about, really, uh, maybe a few weeks, they had a really tremendous impact on that city. So that's kind of some of the context. Now, you've probably had times in your life where you've had conversations with people who profess to be believers, who profess to be a Christian. But then you kind of walk away, and you, in thinking about it after that, afterwards, you kind of wonder if they are genuinely born again, if you're, they're genuinely saved. We can't know for sure, but there, there was, there's sometimes reason for doubt. In the case of the believers in Thessalonica, there was no reason for doubt. In verse 4, which we have up on the screen, Paul communicates to the saints his confidence in the authenticity of their conversion. He says this, Brothers beloved by God, we know, we're confident, we're certain that he has chosen you. And that word chosen in verse 4, it could refer to two things. It's used in two contexts in the word of God. First, the act of God's free will by which, before the foundation of the world, he decreed his blessings to certain persons. Now, examples of that would be people like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. And the second way that it's used is the decree made from choice by which God determines to bless certain people through Christ by grace alone. That really applies to every believer. But really, this, these, both these aspects apply when it comes to the Thessalonian assemblies. Most of the believers in Thessalonica were Gentiles. Their background was paganism, uh, idol worship. As far back as they could remember, they had no knowledge, and they were totally ignorant of the true God. Then one day, Paul and his company showed up and started preaching the gospel, and that, as they say, changed everything. 
in their experience. Now God's choosing, or this theme of God's choosing, isn't unique to the epistle to the Thessalonians. Uh, if you recall, when we looked at the book of Ephesians, Paul mentions this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, he writes, Even as he, that is the Father, chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Now I can somewhat relate here to the experience of the Thessalonians. I don't have a Christian background. Maybe some of you are in that same situation. I didn't grow up going to church. I had very little contact with the Bible as I was going through my teenage, up until my teenage years. In junior high school, for for whatever reason, a friend of mine started to share the gospel with me. He started inviting me out to Christian meetings and Bible studies and concerts. Um, He was pretty persistent about that. And then when I went to college in a totally different city, he actually connected me with a Christian group on campus. Um, When I had one of my work terms, because when I went to University of Waterloo, we had work terms every four months, and I was away for four months, that group, as they told me later, that they regularly fasted and prayed for me. What motivated them to do that? I don't know. During my work term, when I was in this completely different city, I was there for four months, I really had didn't spend any time going to church or any kind of Christian meetings, had very little Christian interaction. But it was amazing that everywhere I went, I met Christians who shared the gospel with me. It was like I could not get away from it. And eventually, um, in my second year of college, is when I actually came uh, to faith in Christ. I, I gave my life to the Lord at a camp. You know, I knew then and I certainly know now, that I was loved. I was chosen. Now, your experience may be similar. Your experience may be totally different. Maybe you grew up with with a strong Christian heritage. Maybe you grew up having parents or grandparents who taught you about Christ, who shared the Bible and the gospel with you from the time you were little. Whatever the case is, I want to tell you that you're loved, that you're chosen. There was a time in your life, in your experience, whatever that experience was, that that God specifically pursued you, he reached out to you, and he used others to share the gospel with you and bring you to himself. Now, Paul doesn't stop with just this expression of confidence. He shares with them that he is confident about their salvation, about their conversion, but he doesn't stop there. He actually goes on to give them four specific reasons for that confidence. And all of these are related to how the gospel came to the Thessalonian assembly in the first place. And we're going to look at these in detail. Okay? And these four reasons, first, the gospel came to them, he says, not only in word, but in power. Second, it came to them in the Holy Spirit. Third, it came to them with full conviction. And then last, it came to them with lives or a witness, uh, lives that backed up that declaration or proclamation of the gospel. Now, the gospel isn't always accompanied with this kind of confirmation, but when it is, it's going to make an impact. And it made an impact with the Thessalonians. So first, it says it came in word and power. Now, you, you may have heard the expression, preach the gospel, and if you have to, use words. Now, there's a lot to be said for really being a living witness. And it's true that our lives should back up the gospel, have to be consistent with the gospel. But 
the consistent pattern that we see in the scriptures is that people come to faith through hearing the word of God. You know, it could be from a pulpit like this in a large group. It could be one-on-one, people sharing the gospel with you one-on-one. But Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 makes it clear, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So the word of God has to be proclaimed, it has to be declared. And the presentation of the gospel certainly began or started with the proclamation of the word of God. But it didn't end there. You know, God showed up and he confirmed his word. Now, many think that what Paul was talking about here may have been miracles that the apostles did. Uh, and, and certainly that may have been the case. Now, if you read in Acts chapter 17, it, there is not an explicit record of specific miracles being done. But if we read through the book of Acts, we know that God empowered his apostles to do all kinds of miracles in the name of Jesus. So there could certainly have been uh, miracles involved there, and it's possible that Dr. Luke just didn't record them in that particular instance. The other possibility is that the power that we're talking about here is the transformation that occurred when people trusted the Lord Jesus. Their lives were changed. The, The gospel has the power, and it's really the only thing on earth that has the power to change hearts. And change hearts mean change lives. So that may be the transformation or the power that that is being talked about. Now, second, Paul says that it came in the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to realize that the genuine conversion, true conversion, turning to the Lord, it's not in response to some sort of a clever sales pitch or some sort of a convincing, logical argument. That's not what happens there. The gospel should certainly be presented effectively and persuasively, Right, That's true, but it's not human persuasion that brings life. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes and convict of sin and to, to give new life in response to faith. The Lord Jesus says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And again, this is John, that's John chapter 6, verse 63. And then again, in John chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You know, a great illustration, probably the best illustration, of the gospel coming with power and the Holy Spirit is recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. Most of us are familiar with it. It began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which gave the apostles the ability to speak in multiple languages, languages that they had never learned or practiced before. That miracle enabled them to share the gospel with a large with people from all kinds of diverse nations that had gathered in Jerusalem at that time. It was the time of the Passover, and they were able to share the gospel with all of these different people because they, they were able to speak in these different languages. The Spirit of God applied the word to their hearts and resulted in, re- in conviction and repentance and people turning to the Lord. Lives were changed, and as a result, uh, God was glorified. And so we see there that it's the word of God being applied by the Spirit of God that brings about that change. A third, Paul says the gospel came with full conviction. Um, some understand that full conviction to speak 
or mean the assurance or deep inward persuasion that the Thessalonian believers had uh, as a result of hearing the gospel. However, if you kind of take a look at verse 5, the focus really in verse 5 is about the manner or the way that the gospel came to the Thessalonian believers. It's really verse 6 that talks about, about their response. So it's more than likely what we're talking, talking about here in terms of full conviction is the conviction that the apostles had when they presented the gospel. Okay? Um, if you think about it, you know, Paul and Silas had just left Philippi, they had proclaimed the gospel, and they had really been beaten up. So you could certainly understand, I don't think that was the case, but you could certainly understand that they were perhaps, if they were perhaps a little bit more cautious in proclaiming the gospel in Thessalonica. But that wasn't the case. Okay, they were bold. They were forthright. They were confident in declaring the gospel. Uh, And that, that boldness... Paul, in, in reflecting back, you know, gave him that confidence that the Spirit of God is working through him. So, so there was a conviction there. But certainly Paul, of course, was convinced of the truth. He had had a life-changing experience um, on that road to Damascus, and he had seen God work, and so he knew he had conviction about the gospel, and that conviction energized every aspect of his ministry. Now, this isn't to say that conviction comes from having these spectacular experiences. Certainly Paul did, other apostles did. But really, genuine conviction comes from allowing the Spirit of God to use the Word of God, the Word of God being used by the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit of God is the one who shows us the depths of our sin, who convicts us of our sin, who shows us that we're undeserving of God's mercy, that, that shows us how much we have been forgiven. It, it convinces us, it shows us about the beauty of a life uh, and the transformation that happens when we come into a relationship with Christ. Uh, we're confident, we know that Jesus lives in us. We know that he is working in us. We know that he has changed our hearts from the inside and that gives us the conviction to be able to declare the gospel to other people. That's what gave Paul that courage and that conviction to declare the gospel. But Paul also says, what men we prove to be among you. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The latter part of verse 5. The gospel witness made an impact, made a tremendous impact on the Thessalonians because the lives of the apostles backed up that message. They were men of integrity. People could see that. They weren't preaching to get praise from men. They weren't preaching to get rich from the gospel. They lived before God to please him, not men. And this is where, you know, I need to give an admonition to myself, and perhaps you can share with it as well. If I'm not living in a way to please God, if my focus is not on pleasing God, deep down in my heart, you know, I'm not really doing anybody a favor by professing to be a believer if my life doesn't back up that witness. In fact, I I could do more harm than good for the cause of Christ if I profess to be a Christian, but my life doesn't back up the truth of the gospel. You know, it's not about being perfect. It's not about being sinless. It's it's about having integrity. It's about being transparent, being genuine. 
you know, hypocrisy, which, which essentially is acting in a manner that is inconsistent with your profession, it turns people off and it gives them an excuse for either ignoring or rejecting the gospel. Genesis chapter 20 records Abraham's brief stay in a place called Gerar, which was in Philistia. He was traveling there on his way back uh, from Sodom to Canaan, where God had called him. At that time, he was nearly 100 years old. He had been walking with the Lord for about 25 years, and he had just received a promise that Sarah was finally going to give birth to his son. You know, Abraham had faithfully walked with God, demonstrated tremendous faith. He had defeated these armies. He had done amazing things. Um, But during that stay, during the time that he was in Gerar, he lied to uh, to the king and the people of that city and told them that Sarah was his sister, not his wife, okay? Um, That wasn't the first time that he'd done that, but it's it's remarkable that, you know, he'd been walking with the Lord for such a period of time, and yet this act, uh, whatever motivated him, we don't know, but this act of deception really sabotaged and invalidated what could have been a tremendous witness to this, this heathen nation. You know, unfortunately, uh, if you read several years later, his son Isaac, who was in the same circumstance, followed that example. He also squandered an opportunity to be a witness. Now contrast this with the testimony of the Apostle Paul in Acts, in Ephesus at the time. Acts chapter 17 says this, You know, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said this, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was able to live a consistent life without any evidence of greed or hypocrisy. Why? Why was that? Okay, this is my opinion, but I think it's backed up by what we see in his life. He was able to do that because he constantly surrounded himself with people, with other believers, strong believers who held him accountable. He was both being mentored by others, people like Silas and Barnabas, or he was mentoring others, people like Titus and Timothy. We see in verses 6 and 7, we're going to keep going on for sake of time, um, the truth of the gospel, when it's fully received, it propagates, it continues. Okay? True, to, true converts desire to become like the Lord who saved them. They pattern their lives after people who have shared the gospel with them. And as a result, they grow in their relationship with the Lord and they're transformed into his likeness. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Thessalonians were so impressed by the example of the apostles that they chose willingly, voluntarily, to imitate their faith and life. 
And as a result, Paul says that they, they were in fact imitating the Lord because they were following the Lord. Okay? What did that imitation look like, you might ask? Okay? Well, first he says that they, that first evidence that he saw of imitation was, the, was manifested in the way that they joyfully received the word even in the midst of persecution. You can read about that. There was a great deal of, of opposition and persecution that came along with receiving the word of God, but they received it joyfully because they valued that more than their own lives, really. You know, and true joy does not come from just comfortable circumstances or the absence of trials, but it comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 you know, today, unfortunately, many are led to believe that, that trusting in Christ means your, your trials go away. You're promised an abundant life, which means all kinds of financial prosperities. You're never going to encounter any kind of sickness, or if you do, you get well. Um, sorry, but that's a false gospel. And people who are deceived by that gospel are, are unprepared and really disappointed when, when trials and when difficulties and hardships hit. And they, they sometimes conclude that the gospel is not true, and they walk away from it. And that's really sad. But that's not what the Word of God says. James the Elder, brother of Jesus, wrote this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may per- be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The Apostle Peter wrote this to believers who are suffering really horrible persecution under a Nero, 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Verse 7 tells us that the true believers, true converts, become examples to others. Um, Gene Green, who wrote a book titled The Letter to the Thessalonians, states that this episode is the only instance in the New Testament where a church is held up as a model for other churches. Okay? But I sort of challenge that. I think the reality is that every assembly, every church, every believer is an example. It's not a question of what, whether we're an example, but what kind of example we are. Whether we're a positive example that helps people get closer to the Lord, genuinely displays Him in all His glory and all His beauty, or are we a negative example that tends to drive people away from God? That's the choice. First Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 8, true converts spread the gospel to others. It says here, for not only has the word of God sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. Now that word sounded forth occurs really only here in the New Testament. It's a strong form of a verb from which we get our word echo. Uh, in other literature, it is used of a clap of thunder or a cry, of, a loud cry of a multitude or the sound of a trumpet. The sense here is that the Thessalonians, they weren't meek or timid or apprehensive about sharing the gospel. They were bold. They proclaimed it with confidence. They had no fear of the repercussions. 
verses 9 and 10, you know, these two verses, these last verses we'll look at uh, this morning, they really capture the testimony of the, the, the churches in Macedonia, okay? This is their testimony that Paul has documented here, and they're talking about the believers in Thessalonica. And that testimony confirms Paul's own assessment of the Thessalonians. Uh, that church, the Thessalonian believers, they boldly proclaimed and lived out the gospel to the regions, to, to the other churches in that region. And that proclamation, that witness, that testimony made a very memorable and lasting impression on them. And to the extent that those other churches in the region of Macedonia felt compelled to share with the, with the, the apostles what they had probably heard from and observed in the Thessalonians. So that's what they're declaring here. And, and they're talking about how the proclamation of the gospel by the apostles transformed the believers in Thessalonica from being idol worshippers, from being pagans, to being servants of the living God, to be followers and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. They shared how the Thessalonians boldly professed faith in the resurrection and future return of the Lord. This is what they were telling and really, the example of the Thessalonians was so potent. Paul says in, 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 chapter, in verse 8, we don't need to add anything. We don't need to say anything because they already know. We don't need to declare anything to them. We don't need to teach anything to them because your example has been so strong that they have already understood what the gospel is all about. I mentioned family additions. When, when Sabana had Abby, she's our oldest, our firstborn, you know, God graciously gave her several other mothers, or at least a few other mothers, who were magnificent role models. And, and Sabana, to her credit, she did a great job of taking advantage of those examples and, and learning from those examples. You know, it may sound strange, but, you know, I really don't recall having anybody that I could sort of emulate or imitate uh, when I first became a dad. Uh, if Abby's out there listening right now, she's probably saying to herself, well, that certainly explains a lot of things. But really, it's my fault. It's not that there was, wasn't role models. There probably were. I just didn't make the effort, which I should have done. And in retrospect, I wish I had done to find those role models and, and interact with them. Probably at that time, being a guy, I thought, I got this, which I didn't. Um, but fortunately, when it comes to Christian life or spiritual life, you know, God has been very gracious in giving all kinds of role models and examples. And in that area, in that sphere, I have done, hopefully, a better job of connecting with those role models and following those examples. You know, I think all of us would agree, uh, if we're honest, that God graciously does put other believers in our lives who we can emulate who are great examples, who can be mentors to us. You know, it could be the ones who originally shared the gospel with you. It could be just people you work with, people you go to church with. But they're there all around us. You know, we need to be deliberate and discerning in selecting who we choose to emulate, who we choose to imitate. And let me tell you, if you don't select intentionally, right, you probably will select accidentally. And that may not work out to be the best for you. So the question this morning that I want to leave you with is, where are you? 
Perhaps others in your family or perhaps your friends have been sharing the gospel with you, the good news about Jesus. It is good news. How he died for your sins. How he is able to and willing to forgive your sins and to give you eternal life. Have you believed it? Have you trusted him? Have you chosen to follow the example that God has put before you? If you are a believer, are you seeking to live like Christ? Are you seeking to follow the example of the believers that he has put around you? Is your faith and your witness impacting those that he has put in your life? You know, God is looking for us to grow. He's looking for us to mature, to impact and influence others in a positive way for his kingdom and for his glory. And that's the natural progression of Christian life that we see here in this first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. We allow ourselves to be impacted by those that the Lord brings into our lives, by the mentors, by the role models. We, we imitate them. In turn, we grow more to be like the Lord and in turn, to impact others. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for the marvelous role models, examples, people that, that you've put in our lives. It, it began with the people that you used to initially bring us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, people of integrity, people who um, knew the Word of God, people who allowed the Spirit of God to work in our lives. And Father, we know that you put people around us to to hold us accountable, to continue living and growing in that life, and that you give us opportunities to to be examples and role models. Lord, may we be willing to step up. Father, we know that there are people around us who need to see that example, and we can choose to be a positive example or a negative example. Lord, may we choose to be that, that good example, that good role model, so that others can see Christ in us and, uh, and give witness to that, not for our glory, but for yours. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.